Hello and welcome to Down to Earth Convos Down Under, episode 23. In this one, we're joined by Dr. John Martini of the Martini Institute. Dr. Martini shares lots of wisdom around his eight key principles to wealth that you need to know and understand. So, hi there, Dr. John Martini. Thank you for joining us today and hello to Brad in WA. Yes, thank you for uh, having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, we really appreciate your time. Well, I'd love to introduce you formally to our listeners. And John, Dr. John Martini is considered one of the world's leading authorities in human behavior and an international educator. He's the founder of the Martini Institute. And ho- over his career, he has developed more than 75 courses covering multiple aspects of human development, relationships, wealth, education, and business. He has taught his trademark methodologies and human development for more than 45 years. Yes, you started from 48 48. 48 48. years. I was wondering. I knew you would correct me there, John. 70. So more than 48 years now, you started from the very young age of 17 on your mission. In that time, you have published 40 books in 30 different languages. Dr. Martini is a man on a mission to step foot in every country on the face of the earth, sharing your research, your findings and teachings to help people empower and master all seven areas of life, family, financial, spiritual, mental, physical, vocational, and finance. Mental. And mental, yeah, and finance. For me personally, John, if you don't mind me calling you John, I'm so truly grateful that I discovered your work just on 10 years ago. It's not only been transformational for myself and my family. So I um, recently traveled oh, years ago, a few years ago, my family, my hubby and my three kids, two of them were teenagers at the time. We traveled Europe, spent three weeks in a motorhome and people asked, how did you do that? And I simply, we simply reply, we do John's work, owning the traits. Wherever there was a conflict, <laughs> we'd do your Martini method and own the traits. So we thank you, and it's a great privilege to have you join us today. Well, thank you for having me. That's great. Well, our mission is to guide parents and help them teach the lessons that they don't teach in school. So real-world learning, um, looking at how kids can achieve success. We kind of focus on all areas of life, but particularly on the finance side of things. Um, And today, yeah, I'd like to focus on that sort of family finance side of things. And I'd like you to walk us through the eight key principles to wealth. So John, what's principle number one? Well, first of all, there's different types of wealth. And there's a thing called genuine wealth. And each individual has a set of priorities, a set of values, things that are most to least important in their life. And whatever is at the top of that list, the thing that is truly most important in their life is where they store their wealth, genuine wealth. Now that could be in their love for their family, their genuine wealth, their wealth can be stored in their appreciation, love for their children and their family. It could be in spiritual quest, making some sort of a quest there. It could be their physical body. It could be their social interactions and social network. It could be their business. It could be actual financial assets. It could be intellectual property. 
any of the seven areas of life, spiritual, mental, career, financial, family, social, or physical areas of life can store wealth. And whatever you value most in any of those areas is where you store yours. But it won't typically convert into financial wealth unless you have a higher value on financial wealth enough to convert it from the other forms of wealth into financial purposes. In other words, you could have a tremendous amount of intellectual knowledge, but if you don't package it, it won't become cash. And you could have a beautiful body, but if somehow you don't use that body in some way to fair exchange with other people, there's no cash. You could be a singer with that body, you could be an athlete with that body, then you can make financial cash. But everybody stores wealth. It's just in what they value most, but they won't convert it into financial wealth unless they have a value on financial wealth enough to convert the other forms of wealth into financial wealth. Okay, that's fantastic. So with, uh, I've been present in your seminars live and done a couple of breakthrough experiences, John, and I've heard you say to your audience, raise your hand if you want financial independence, financial wealth, and everyone raises their hands, don't they? Dr. Martini, and then you ask, okay, so keep your hand raised for those who have financial wealth. So is it because, so a lot of the hands drop. So they're not for those that haven't got financial wealth because they haven't got their, they don't value wealth in their top three values or something like that? Well, financial wealth uh, automatically circulates from those who value at least to those who value it most. So if you don't have a value on asset accumulation and you have a higher value on lifestyle and buying consumables that depreciate in value you will keep spending money on something for immediate gratification that will cost you and not produce for you but if you finally have an appreciation for asset accumulation you'll start to have money work for you so it automatically circulates from those of value at least to those of value most so if you don't have a value on asset accumulation and actually long-term application of money working to actually give you a passive income, then you'll keep spending it. And that's what most people do. They confuse financial independence with the lifestyles of the rich and famous. And the second they get money, they go buy a fancy house, buy a fancy car, go buy fancy clothes, go buy fancy this and that. And they confuse that with wealth building. Those things take money out of your pocket. Financial wealth is about buying things that put money into your pocket. And that's an asset versus a consumable liability. And so unless you have a value on buying assets, you'll be a slave to money and not its master. Great. And so how, important, yeah, how important it would be for parents to, before we move on to principle, key principle number two, John, how important is it for parents to lead by a good example and and share, I mean, because if is it true that our children will be a reflection of the parent and we're probably their best teacher, one of their best teachers, would you say? It's very important that the parents start demonstrating valuing money and valuing self so that they can share that principle, share those qualities and traits with their kids so that they can be successful financially. Because I'd love you to share about how important it is to actually have money and and could you just chat about how it's neither good nor evil? Because I know that family members of mine, they feel that money is evil. And sometimes I get ridiculed because I actually have wealth in my top three values. And um, sometimes it hurts your feelings because your values are a part of your identity, aren't they, John? So when someone criticizes your values, they're criticizing a part of you. So I'd love you to, to respond to that if that's. Yeah. Um, 
those that have a value, a higher value on wealth building are usually ridiculed by those that have a lower value on it. And they're considered greedy and expensive. And those that have even a higher value on wealth building uh, usually encourage people and say that they're cheap and inexpensive <clears throat> and, and generous. So who you hang out with has a lot to do with how you interact with money. So if you hang out with people that are impoverished, you'll probably feel you know, the pressure of, that weighs you down and they'll be probably entitled and expect you to take care of them. But at the same time, people that you hang out with that are, have a value on wealth building, they'll tend to lift you up and encourage you, go for it, you know, build your wealth. But because money circulates the economy, even if you were to distribute money equally to everybody and everybody had the same amount within a short period of time because of their values, it would redistribute back to the people that have a higher value on it and people that have lower value on it. And the wealthy would get wealthier and the poor would get poorer. Well, now when somebody doesn't understand what money really represents, money is a measuring mechanism, you might say, of sustainable fair exchange. When you stop, stop and think about it, if you exaggerate yourself over somebody else narcissistically and you look down on them and you don't consider the customer, for instance, and you don't meet their needs, you don't, re you don't receive money. And if you minimize yourself and minimize yourself and exaggerate the customer, you won't, uh, you'll over give away things and you'll be more altruistically and you won't any have, have any money. So anytime you're exaggerate or minimize yourself to some other human being or minimize or exaggerate them and cause a judgment, you don't have equanimity within you and you don't have equity between them and you don't have sustainable fair exchange where both people are winning and they wanna to continue to do business. So the mastery of money is really the mastery of authenticity. Because when you exaggerate yourself, your pride, that's not you. When you minimize yourself, that's not you. But when you're being you and you honor people for being them and have a sustainable fair exchange, you both prosper. And that's the mastery of money. It's not good or evil. It's simply a measurement of how, how masterful you are at communicating what you value in terms of what other people value. And if you go, I was speaking at a church one time and I said, if you're impoverished, it's probably because you don't care about humanity. And everybody just stopped and thought about that. I said, because if you care about humanity, you will directly or indirectly find a way of filling their needs and serving their needs in a fair, sustainable way where you and they both want to continue to do business. And that's what relationships are about. Everybody in a relationship, family, children, parents, spouse, socially, clients, everybody has an internal thermostat for fair exchange. It's called equity theory. And anytime we get out of balance, we feel an incomplete. We don't want to continue to do transactions. So trying to get something for nothing or trying to give something for nothing is non-sustainable. But having sustainable fair exchange is the thing that allows the mastery of money and the mastery of being authentic and an inspired life. Beautiful. Great work. That is there. beautiful. So fair exchange, you've mentioned that. What exactly is fair exchange? How would you define that? Because there's a lot of different interpretations of the word fair. Well, fair exchange is when both parties in a transaction feel they got exactly what they intended. A zero-sum game is I win, you lose, you win, I lose. <clears throat> a non-zero-sum game is we both win. And when you do a service and they have a they know what the price is and they value that price and they and there's this completely the service is exactly what they was guaranteed and the price is exactly what is guaranteed, both people want to continue to do business. That perpetuates a long-term relationship. In long-term relationship, to the degree that we serve people in a long-term relationship, we have fulfillment. 
I think everybody knows what it's like when they actually make a difference in people's lives, contribute to it, have a fair exchange, and don't want to hide from them or don't want to avoid doing the business with them. That's what fulfillment is. So yeah, the mastery of money is also the master of authenticity, the mastery of spirituality, because we're inspired to want to go and be of service to people when it's fair. Right. So mutual benefit. Cool. Yeah, brilliant. Mutual, yeah. mutual win-win. Yeah, great. So moving along to principle number three, these are your key wealth principles that you wrote for me some time back, John. The clear, uh, what is it? Um, excuse me, clear vision, a plan, and self worth. Like, I love that when you speak of self worth and how it's a reflection of your net worth. Would you love to talk to that, please? Yeah. When you're, when you're living by your very highest values, you're, whenever you're doing whatever is highest on your priority, your self worth goes up. And whenever you're doing lower priorities, your self worth goes down. When you're living by your highest value, your blood glucose and oxygen goes into the forebrain. And that's where you're most objective. That's when you have the most reason. That's when you're most fair. That's when you have sustainable fair exchange. But when you're not living by your highest values and you go into lower values, you automatically go into the amygdala. That's where the blood glucose and oxygen goes in. And that's basically a subjective bias center, a desire center, a desire to try to get away from pain and get pleasure, which eschews the view of fair exchange. So self-worth, is really about living according to what you value most and communicating what you value most in terms of what other people value most. So both are objective, both are less subjective, both are more fair exchange, and that's what leads to the fair exchange of, of the sustainable relationship. So that is our, our most inspired authentic state, and it's also the one that allows us the most sustainable exchange, which allows both people to prosper because both are getting what they want. That's, that's lovely that. And it's about caring enough about others. And like if we're talking, helping parents today, it's caring enough, which they do about their children to understand what's most important to the child. And then you say that if you give people what, what they want, they'll give you, you'll get what you want. So it's communicating according to people's values, isn't it, John? All the great philosophers, I mean, from the great ancient Greeks or not said, find out what the child is inspired by and then surround them with things to help them, you know, emerge with that. And that's meeting their needs. Now, you said something about uh, uh, the parents' implants on the children. I don't think I answered that. Ex Einstein said that the greatest teacher is exemplification. Yeah, love that. So if you go out and exemplify a masterful life, your children are going to pick that up. They're going to see your actions. They have mirror neurons. They have the chameleon effect. They're going to automatically watch that. What you say doesn't mean much. What you live means everything. I made it a commitment that I was going to master all seven areas. I was going to create original ideas that served humanity. I was going to create an international global business. I was going to create financial independence. I was going to create a global family where people, the family could be anywhere in the world, you know, where I live. Uh, the, the, the social leadership, I want to move and shake people and be around the movers and shakers around the world, which I've been blessed to do. I want to have a vital body and energy. I'm going on 67. I'm doing good 18 hour days. And I want to be inspired and introduce something inspiring to the world. If I do that and my kids do that and they watch that, that's what happens to them. All of my kids are on savings and building their wealth. All of them are going out and doing what they're inspired to do. All of them care about human beings and reaching people. So I watch that if I go and exemplify that, that's the greatest teacher. Sitting there and, and doing a moral hypocrisy on a child and trying to suppress its own natural creativity for compensating for your own wounds of the past, which is sometimes called caring, which isn't, 
is uh, going to lead them in a sense of feeling like I'm supposed to fit into the society and do what I'm, my duty is instead of what my design is. And I think that we need to live by design, not duty, and normity, not conformity, and express the uniqueness to make a difference in the world instead of submitting and trying to fit in, which makes us dilute and be lost in the equation. Excellent. Every parent needs to hear that. Don't you agree, Brad? Yeah, that's very well, well said. Yeah. So if we move now on to key principle number four, you've talked about it a lot. It's where wealth building sits on your uh, value hierarchy. So if it's high, then it's going to be, uh, you know, come easier to you. So what would you say perhaps to someone who doesn't consider wealth building high on their value list? Would you say that it is kind of a mindset thing and that if they understood ways that they could use that money to better themselves, the people around them and so on, see those flow on effects, then it would move up their value list. Is that kind of you're, on the right track? Warm. I would say it this way, that that every every decision you make is based on what you believe will give you the greatest advantage over disadvantage. If you don't perceive that building wealth will give you more advantage and disadvantage, you're going to spend it on immediate gratification. Hmm. And what I've observed is people that spend on immediate gratification and live beyond their means have a decrescendo life as they get older. They have to literally downsize because they didn't have money working for them. They're working for that. And when they can't work, they're, they're trapped and they have to downsize. And their parents sometimes have to be taken care of by the kids or they have to reverse mortgage their, their, their house or whatever it is just to, to get by. And they de descend in their uh, you know, lifestyle. But an individual that has a not immediate gratification, but long-term vision and understands what money really is about, sustainable fair exchange and mastery of life. And those are the individual that start having money work for them and they save and invest and they start building their wealth. Eventually the passive income allows them to crescendo in life and become philanthropic. And then they actually contribute to uh, the potential, what they can do in the world. Money without meaning, without a cause leads to debauchery, but money with meaning leads to philanthropy. And that's one of the most fulfilling things we have access to is making a difference even beyond our life with the fortune we built during our life. Great answer. Yeah, that's, um, that's terrific. Yeah, cause greater than self. And the bigger the cause, the, the, the greater the wealth. wealth. And the more people you can reach. The let, more let money you have, the more that. people you can reach. Let me, let me elaborate on that. Yeah. If you have zero money and you add a dollar to it, it's 100% of the value of the dollar. You have $10 and you add a dollar to it, it's 10%. If you have $100, it's 1%. If you have $1,000, 0.1%. 10,000, 0.01%. 100,000, 0.001%. 1000000000 0.001%. 10,000,000, 0.001%. So every time you accumulate money, the value of one additional dollar becomes less. But if you have a cause growing faster than the devaluation of the dollar that inspires you to want to go do something with that wealth, that makes a difference, that gives fulfillment, then you won't plateau with money and buy clutter and fill up your house with stuff. You'll end up continually wanting to grow the wealth for the sake of doing something for the family, the community, the city, the state, the nation, the world, and increase your potential. And that gives you a longer time horizon and a greater vastness speed of, of, of spatial expansion of your dreams in life. And so that's why wealth management is actually the learning of mastery of yourself. And that's why it's an essential component for the, the individuals in the family and also the children to learn that because otherwise they're living kind of a delusion that you can get by on some sort of social idea of entitlement. But, you know, even the government, you can't expect a government to rescue you. Somebody's got to pay the government to give it to you. 
or they got to dilute it with inflation. So it's wise to master the art of money management and money exchange, because if it does, it gives you the freedom to have philanthropic life that's fulfilling. That's excellent. And there's probably no better time than right now with what's going on in the world. We're already, you know, labeling our millennials and our future generations as entitled and living in the now immediate gratification. So it's time that we wake them up and start teaching about how important it is to master wealth building in a financial sense. Yeah. What's interesting is the old proverb, you know, rich rags to riches to rags. Sometimes the rags person has a drive and a boy to want to go on and build their wealth and be conservative and patient. And then they, they raise a family that's got, you know, abundance. And so they don't even think lack, they don't have a void or whatever. And so then the, in the next generation, they squander the money and they go back to poverty again, holding people accountable. When I was nine years old, my dad taught me some really cool stuff. He, I went to him and I said, dad, I want to, I want to buy a baseball and a glove and a bat. He said, great. Um, I said, so do you have anything I can do to earn some money? He said, well, if you mowed the yard, yeah. If you edged the sidewalk, yeah. If you swept the sidewalk and the, the garage, yeah. Uh, you cleaned the garage, yeah. If you trimmed all the hedges, yeah. You pulled all the flower weeds, yeah. Um, you tightened up the shale on the high side house. You, have you polished my shoes? Yeah, 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 yeah. He said, well, son, I don't have anything else to do. So if I don't have a need, I can't just give you money without a need you know, solved. I said, I suggest you go to the neighbors and see if you have, they have anything you can do to help them. So I went door to door and asked what I could do. And I, I knew how to mow yards. I knew how to hedge, hedge clip. I knew how to weed. I knew how to do those things. So I, I started doing business. And then I came home with a baseball and a glove and a bat. And my dad said, so I see you got all this equipment. What did it, how did you do it? And I said, I did what you said. I went around the neighborhood and I, and I earned some money. He said, what equipment did you use? <laughs> I said, well, the, the equipment in a garage. And they said, well, you got to, if you're going to use that, that's going to depreciate and wear and tear on it. I have to charge you for that. Oh, well, how much? He says, well, tell me what you did with it. And he said, well, you owe me $9. And I go, oh, well, I've spent it. Well, that'll teach you to, to not live on tomorrow's money today. You got to pay your, your dues and your bills and your taxes and stuff. And I said, oh, so I had to do another yard or two to get that. And then I had to go and do more and pay him a portion. And my profits went down for what I was doing. And I was used to a lot easier money. And all of a sudden I had these accountabilities, but my dad was teaching me the real world. And then I thought because of that, I got a creative idea. Challenge is, you know, mother of necessity creates things. So all of a sudden a kid goes buying a bicycle. I said, Hey, how would you like to make some money? And he said, sure. I said, would you like to push this lawnmower? And so I started getting groups of three kids. I had three groups of three kids, nine of them. And I used my equipment and the malice equipment and the Zubrod's equipment, the neighbors, and I started building this little economy around and doing yards all over the place and then collecting all the money and then making a profit out of it and giving everybody their pays and my dad his percentage. And I netted $45 in a day working really hard when sunburn and bee stings. And my dad was very inspired by it. He says, well, son, I see that you now have a new bike and you've got a golf set. You've got all this equipment. You're buying things, but you haven't learned to save your money. And I said, hmm. He said, so I'm going to get you a coin collection set because coins were valuable in those days. And I'm going to make sure you get a piggy bank. And then when the piggy bank fills up, we're going to go to the bank and we're going to deposit it. I said, okay. So I put my coins in this piggy bank and I started doing coin collections. I still have that piggy bank. It was 1963. I still have that piggy bank in my office as a reminder to think long-term. I've never opened it since 1963. Never. Still full of those same original coins as a reminder of my, my, my life. So I started doing that. And then all of a sudden he says, 
now you've learned to save. Now I'm going to teach you the last aspect of life. I said, what's that? He says, you're going to now start paying for clothing, room, and food, and rent, and everything else at the house. And I said, okay, how much? And he said, $9 per week. I said, oh, $750 to $9 a week, depending on what you do. And they said, but that's going to buy you freedom. You now on that new bicycle, you can go anywhere you want, as far as you want to go, as long as you're home at nine o'clock at night. You're free now. You bought your freedom. What a great gift. It helped me become an entrepreneur in life because he made me accountable. He didn't just give me something for nothing, which creates a false uh, entitlement in life. And it made me it made me more independent instead of dependent by doing that. Well, we need to get that message out there, don't we, Brad? And the best way to value money is to earn it. I mean, I'm a big believer of that. So thanks for sharing that story. That's excellent. I'm just wondering about those, if you had any silver coins in there, John, back in the 1950s, that'd be real silver. Believe it or not, I have silver coins, buffalo nickels, Indian heads. I mean, I got them all. Wow. When I go back all the way back to the 1901. I have coins from 1901 in that, in that little that little bank. Yeah, excellent. They're going up in value as we speak, aren't they? <laughs> yeah. That's great. Great story. Where are we now, Brad? Uh, that was wealth building on, on the high priorities. Are we up to number six, which is dissolving any form of self-depreciating shame and guilt around the loss of money or perceived loss of money? I love this subject, this particular one. Yeah, well, what, what happens is, is when we're in shame, we feel unworthy of receiving and we undermine. And so we end up you know, sacrificing by consumerism, by buying other people's brands that we think are more important to make us feel better about ourselves. And we just squander money instead of building our own brand. And so, yeah, shame, if, we, if you write down every single thing you've ever had that you felt shamed of or guilty about, or you felt bad about, if you sit down and write down, how did it serve you and how did it serve the individuals that were concerned and go look, and don't make anything up that's not true. Just go digging and look. Because sometimes we think something's terrible, and then a day, a week, a month, a year, or five years later, it turns out to be terrific. And the same thing, what we do to other people, we think it's terrible, and we think, oh, we feel guilty. But then days later, we find out, oh, it actually catalyzed their growth and opportunities in their life. So go and find out how whatever you've done serves. So you're not carrying around unnecessary shame and guilt over something of the past, because that undermines your willingness to receive and hold on to money because guilt automatically goes away. Anytime you receive an inheritance or you receive some win of some form, if you don't know what you did to earn it, you'll squander it and spend it foolishly. But if you write down what you did to earn it, you'll wisely manage it and make sure it's not squandered quickly. So write down all those things to clear out the shame and guilt on there. And anything you think you've done that, that you haven't said thank you to yourself about, because gratitude for yourself allows you to feel worthy enough to receive. So anything you can't say thank you for in your life is baggage. Anything you can say thank you for is fuel and raises your self-worth and allows you to hold on to the money and wisely manage it and have it begin to work for you. You want to make sure that you have a, a dream of serving ever greater numbers of people. You want to make sure that you understand and appreciate what money really represents, a sustainable fair exchange means. And you want to make sure you value yourself. Those three things are very powerful in making sure if you grow your wealth in life, financial wealth. Brad, what are you going to say to that one? That's excellent. <laughs> yeah, that's profound. Uh, I think there's a lot of guilt and shame about a lot of things that people hold on to. And it's interesting to hear about how that affects their saving, investing, and how they think about and treat money, for sure. So if we move to key principle number seven, that is to create an immortal saving and investment account that is to exist beyond your lifetime. And that's 
maybe a little bit difficult for people to wrap their head around. It sounds a bit like a legacy. So how would, um, how would that start? Is that purely from a financial saving side of things? Was that tied into say a business and, you know, how do people actually do this? Well, there are six steps to wealth that I found. I, I interviewed a lot of wealthy people, centimillionaires, billionaires, many, many wealthy people. And I found six things common to them. And let me go over those six steps and then I'll tie the legacy, which is the sixth step. The first one is the wealthiest individuals that I've, I've interacted with and worked with are individuals that felt by somehow divine providence and, or human sovereignty that they were here to serve vast numbers of people. They have a work ethic. They have a service ethic. They want to really make a difference in the world. If you don't have a desire to serve people, why would you expect to get money to, to, to build wealth? You have to have a, a caring about humanity. That's a humanitarian aspect. That's why the idea when people, money is greed and all that, that that's, that's all bull. The reality is if you actually go and serve people and care about people, you will be abundantly rewarded. But if you don't care, you're, you're going to be entitled. You're going to think, well, I should be getting something without doing something. So the first thing to build wealth is actually having a, a desire to, to serve vast numbers of people and build a business that serves vast numbers of people. But business is some sort of exchanging of some product, service, or idea for something of fair exchange. That's one. Number two is actually managing that business effectively and efficiently. If you don't actually try to do that, and that's the sake of employees to make sure that they're doing what they love and you're hiring people, they're engaged and inspired, and, and that you're not, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're basically giving them freedom to create. And then the process of doing it, that serves the customer even more. We've all been into a business. We walked in and we saw people that weren't engaged in what they did and you didn't want to do business with them. So making sure that the that there's a love of the people you surround yourself with in your business are doing what they love and loving what they do and they can't wait to go to work and they're doing something that's, that's aligned with what they value most. And that raises their self-worth. That raises the net worth of the company. The company then flourishes. And that way they're, they're efficient and effective in what they're doing. The third one is saving an ever progressive portion of the profits. That's the fastest way to scale up the profitability of the, uh, the margins on a business is forcing savings because entropy, which is a tendency to go to from order to disorder, takes over money and it gets squandered on unexpected bills if you don't take it and put it into savings. And the, that's why the wealthy always knew to pay themselves first. The poor always pay themselves last. By saving an ever progressive portion, you grow the business and you scale it up. Then you invest in ever greater degrees of leverage and buy up the skills of investments where there's greater returns and you learn the art of mastering the, the investment world, which means providing income to other companies that are serving great numbers of people also and getting a passive return. So it's not all dependent on you and your business. It's also helping the economy, serving other businesses. And the next one is to actually have a desire to build a fortune. Because if you don't have a desire to do it, you'll buy clutter and you'll buy consumable items and you'll fill up a house with junk that depreciate and you'll pay a quarter of what your house is and just storing stuff. But if you actually have a cause for doing it, you'll want to do something with that money that, that makes a difference in people's lives and compounds and grows. And then the last one is the sixth one. The six steps to wealth is actually having a cause greater than yourself to leave a legacy because you're going to eventually get to a point of financial independence if you manage your money wisely. And when you do, you go, well, you're not going to spend it all. So you, you're, not, and you're not going to plan to die broke on the last minute. Okay, I got $10 left, I die now. You're going to have leftover. And in the prize, otherwise you're going to burden your family and they're going to want you dead. <laughs> so you might as well basically have, have a, an abundance on top of it. So you have something that you want to do that makes a difference in people's lives. 
you know, I was so inspired by Nobel Prize winners. I, I've been read, I've read every Nobel Prize winner, the, the biographies, their writings, everything else, and the great philosophers. So I figured, okay, my wealth beyond my, my needs goes into a Demartini Prize. It's an equivalent of the Nobel Prize. And I put away a, about $30 million into that prize to start it out. It's growing even more. So I could basically compete with the Nobel Prize for an annual contribution of people who do amazing things on the planet that make the biggest difference in the world. And that's inspiring. So having a cause drives you to want to go do more with your life and gets more vitality out of it. Because if your cause isn't bigger than yourself, you won't get beyond yourself. You'll stagnate. So that's why it's important to have that for wealth building and for fulfillment and for also contribution. Well, we didn't remind people to get a note paper out. So I'm sure they're going to replay this a few times to get um, that awesome content. It's good. That um, inspiration coming from within. I've heard you say many times and you've opened my, I mean, you've, transform my whole perception of people, myself and, and others. We're here to do what we love and enjoy. And it brings out the best in us, don't we? And it's, and it comes from within inspiration comes from in spirit, opens the heart. We've got love, gratitude, enthusiasm, and what am I missing? Inspiration. Yeah. You know, when you're living by your highest values, you see your highest value, you spontaneously are inspired from within to do mine's teaching. I love teaching. I do it every day. This is my fifth presentation today. I wish I had you as a teacher. I wish I had you as a finance teacher at school. Yeah. So what, what, what's interesting is when you're doing something you absolutely love to do, your vacation is your vocation and you're getting to do what you love and you can't wait to get up and do it. When you do, you spontaneously are in the flow. You don't have this resistance. You see things on the way, not in the way. And you've liberated by a tremendous amount of freedom and energy. You're a mitochondria. You literally kick out the ATPs and build up your energy. The second you're doing what you really inspired to do your authentic life. The, the, your physiology rewards you when you live authentically. And when you do, that's when you're magnetic because everybody wants to be authentic. Everybody wants to live enthused life. When they see you doing that, they come to you. There's like a magnet and they want to help you get your dreams and you're helping them get their dreams. So that's a perpetual growth process that automatically does it. So living by highest priority is the key to an inspired energy and inspired life. And when you're inspired, you automatically have a ripple effect on other people. And not just only by exemplification, but by the energy of the grace, the love, the inspiration, the enthusiasm, the certainty, and the presence of your own mission. That's very powerful when you put that in the equation. That's the key to, to not only wealth, because with that, there's meaning. And, and wealth building with meaning leads to, again to philanthropy, but wealth without meaning leads to debauchery. Money just without meaning doesn't, doesn't do it. Actually, cons- it, it destroys it. It's like the wolf on Wall Street, you know, yeah. going out in debauchery. Yeah because that's too easy money without a meaning, but doing some money with meaning is very powerful. Excellent, yeah. Without the meaning, that's why the Wolf on Wall Street did all those nasty drugs and all that sort of thing. So we won't be going down that way. What do you think, Brad? Where are we now? That's terrific. Yeah, that's, that's the principles. Um, Dr. Dave Martini, would you be able to share with the audience where they can learn more about one, value determination, but also learn the Martini method and your courses, and in particular, the breakthrough experience? Well, if they go to my website, drdmartini.com, which is an education website that they could spend the rest of their life on, uh, there's so much information on it. If they go on there and they go to determine your values, it's a little thing you can hit a button on, and go and take 30 minutes or 40 minutes of their time to go and answer 13 questions, they'll be extremely valuable questions to make sure you answer. And then what it'll do is it'll print out a summary of what your life is demonstrating what is most important to you. 
So you can begin to structure your life according to priority. Because if you're not living by high priorities and filling your day with high priority actions, it's going to fill up with low priority distractions, which is going to devalue you. And so this is a very starting point. Now, as far as what I'm doing, if they go online and they go on my website and go to the events, they can see all the events I'm doing. They'll see all the webinars and all the programs and presentations and TV and radio and newspapers and podcasts and all that. So that if they're interested in learning more from me, that's the best place to go. But also they can go online, even if they're not listening to me live, they can go and get just unbelievable amount of information on empowering the seven areas of life, particularly the wealth building by going online and just looking up all the, I mean, there's, I've, I've written for 1500 magazines and newspapers around the world. There's magazines, there's newspapers, there's all kinds of things in there that they can, they can get information from to help advance their life and empower their lives. In all areas, wonderful. You're so generous. And by the way, I didn't, I didn't say, and the breakthrough experience, the, the signature program that I've done, which I've done 1,124 times, uh, that program is also on that event calendar. So if they would like to go and do that, that's where they learn the Demartini method, which is on how to transform any emotional distractions and baggage you have and how to become inspired and fueled and inspired by your life. And the, all of the, the, the work that I do, the breakthrough experience is the seminar that I've done so many times where I teach how to master your life, basically, how to see life on the way, not in the way. So you don't have to be victims of history. You can be master of destiny. And now that you're online more so than in live seminars all around the world, as you put, put in every, every country of the world, it's easy for us now, isn't it? And you can serve an ever fast, you, you can serve more people now that you're online. That's right. I've heard you talk about that, John. I, I've, been, I've been amazed. Uh, you know, I was in Tokyo uh, filming for a movie and also doing a live breakthrough experience there. And all of a sudden I flew back to LA to do programs there and they shut down the country, right? This is March of 2020 for COVID. And we went, okay. So we had 20 major cities that we, we canceled and we went immediately online. And two days later, we had a line program uh, the next day online, the next week, that weekend we did online and we never stopped. We did 100, 356 presentations last year on, on Zoom and the other vehicles. And this year we're already at 140 or so. And so I, I just think that, you know, the Zoom is a great gift. I, I can't complain. I'm, I'm able to do, without even having to leave home, I can reach around the world and go to different countries. I've spoken live in 154 countries, but now we're reaching every country by Zoom. And that is in aligned with your mission that you, you, you plastered out to the universe. You know, um, Dr. Martini, I did, you were the first person I looked for online when this all came about, when it started to get pretty heavy um, February last year. I just thought, oh, I need to balance up on the fear and emotion that was, because we we're so uncertain and, and a lot of us were living in fear. It was, a, it was a turmoil year for my family and most people I know. But uh, I did, I found you online and uh, you helped me balance up on that fear. And there's always hidden, or, hidden blessings and see the, the hidden order amongst the um, disorder. It's very important that people balance. Yeah, well, I, think, I, I think it's wise to, it's never what happens to you that matters. What matters is how you perceive what you decide to do with it and how you act upon it. And if you ask quality questions, you get a quality life. If you ask, how is whatever's happening right now helping me fulfill my mission in life? And how does it help me fulfill what I value most and what's most meaningful, most inspiring to me? If you don't stop and find the answer to that, and there's always an answer. I've never seen another, you can't, when somebody says, well, I don't know, they're not looking. If they look, they'll find an answer. If they're accountable, they'll find an answer. And when they do, they'll come up with a greater creativity because the challenge is what bursts genius and opportunity. And the same thing, if you prioritize your daily action and prioritize your perceptions 
and ask, how is it helping you fulfill your highest value? You automatically liberate yourself with a tremendous amount of creativity, genius, and contribution. So it has nothing to do with COVID. It's the people that let COVID run their life or people that let the world outside them as victims of history run their life. The people that use that to their greatest advantage, they exemplify what's possible and create a chain reaction of creativity across the world. I'd rather be that individual that takes and go, okay, this has happened. But could, could, could comparing your current life to a fantasy of how it used to be or how you hope it will be, instead of looking how right now, what's happening? How is it helping me fulfill my mission? That question liberates people from the angst of fantasies and gets them onto the actions of realities. Excellent. Listen to the voices on the inside too and block out the outside world. Would you mind, have we got time for another question? Yeah, Dr. Martini. Oh, thank you. I speak in high schools to the young, to the youth. I've, I'm very extremely passionate about, um, you know, helping them tap into their inspired life. And I've heard you say many times about passion. Like I've heard you say, don't deny you haven't got a true passion. So that's one. And purpose, that's sort of almost quite deep for a, a youth to understand, but it's not too early to share this with young kids, is it? I mean, we are here truly for, we've got a, a spiritual guide guiding us and we're here for a reason and a purpose. And I, I think, I mean, I share that with my kids and if the parents care enough about their kids to observe and watch what's in, what they're inspired by. I know that uh, Brad heard you talk about the guy about the, the guy that was, I've heard you talk about the guy that wasn't, he was uh, the, the young student that was disengaged in school and he was labeled ADHD. And then you asked the child about the train and he was interested in trains. I'd love you to share a little bit about that for teachers and parents and kids that are going to be watching this, listening sure. to this. First of all, there's a difference between passion and mission. An inspired mission is an expression of what you value most. And a passion is a compensation for an amygdala response because passion by its etymology, if you look it up, it comes from patio and pasio, which means pati and pasio, which means to suffer. So I'm not a promoter of passion because that takes no effort to have passion. I'm a promoter of an inspired mission. And, and the, the mission comes from living by the highest value, which Aristotle called the telos, which is the end in mind. And living by that is what wakes up teleological meaning and purpose in life. So our purpose is an expression of what we value most. And everyone has it, no matter what the age, even children have this at a very young age. But what it does, it gets squashed. And Freud called it the repression of the superego, the masochism of the and the suppression of the superego, because we end up getting with mommies and daddies and preachers and teachers, and this is how you should be and ought to be, and you just squashed the innate expression of the child. Not its, not its impulses, but its inspirations. But finding what that is in the child is liberating. So I had this young boy that came in years ago. I was in practice in, in, in Pasadena, Texas, and at this chiropractic college I was at. And this mother brought in this child while she was coming and getting her care. And he was running back and forth, literally 10 feet, back and forth, back and forth against the wall and just running and talking and going and distracted and, you know, classical ADHD. And so I asked the mother, I said, so uh, give me a moment, go to a moment when the child is sitting present and silent and quiet and engaged. I don't know, look. And she said, okay, when he's playing with his trains. When he's putting his train set together, he's, he's quiet, he's focused, and he's very diligent. I said, so trains are what is it? Yeah. And I said, does he fill his space with something to do with trains? Yep. He's got train magazines. He's got train pictures and posters. He's got train sets, train models. Okay, great. 
Does he spend his time on that whenever he has free time? Yep. Is that what energizes him? Yep. Is that what do you, if he gets money, does he want to buy stuff on trains? Yep. Is that what he's most organized? Is it organized and put together well? Yeah, it is. Is he disciplined to do it? Yeah. I said, that's because he values it. So I stopped right on the spot. He's running back and forth. And I said, I said, I got a question for you. What's the longest train you've ever seen? And he stopped and he looked up and he goes, about a half a mile. And I said, how many cars has it had? About 375 cars. I said, what, what is the number of cars that were tankers, flatbed, you know, engines? What were the, what were the ratios of the cars? He goes, hmm. He said about 25% of them were flat. This kid was a genius on cars and trains. I said to the mother, I said, because right now he's engaged, he's talking, he's focused, he's not running around, he's focused, he's answering questions, he's completely doing it. I said, take him. I said, where, where do you love to watch the trains the most? He goes, uh, the refineries, because they come and load them and unload them there. I said, I want you to take him to the train, the refinery place, and I want you to go and, and let him go there. And I want next time I see you, I want you to come with him, and I want you to report to me how many actual cars it was and find out what language is on the side of the cars, what country it's coming from, how many are tank cars, how many are flatbed trucks, everything else. The kid was like, yeah, great. Mom, let's go over there. He went there, presented it all, had it all formalized, everything else. I said, if we link everything to trains and link his classes, language to it, mathematics, the ratios of types of cars, he will get engaged and he'll correlate those different areas of study with what he loves most. There's no lack of knowledge. There's no lack of desire to learn in kids. They just have a high value and you got to find out what it is and link all the classes to that. Watch what happens. All of a sudden they come out, they don't get labeled diso, dis, uh, you know, disobedient. They don't get labeled ADHD. They just get focused because they're doing something that they really inspired intrinsically to do. And that's the problem with the school system. There's just not enough of them engaged in all those limiting subjects that are on offer. Uh, and John, we can relate that to the workforce too, can't we? So we need to apply what you've just shared with us now with the school system and linking linking their highest value to the subjects that they need to learn. And if you give them what they want, the parent and the teacher will get what they want. They'll get the learnings that they need. Give you what you want. Yeah. You know, work. nobody goes to say to work for the sake of a company. They go to work to fulfill what they value most, which is highest on their values. That's why values are so important. If you find out what that is and you hire them and you have a job description and you ask them, how is doing this job description helping you fulfill what you value most? If they can't answer that, don't hire them because <laughs> you're going to be pushing them uphill. You're going to be micromanaging because anytime you, they can't see how what they want is getting met by those actions, they're not going to want to work. They're going to want to take a break. They're going to go down their migla. They're going to want to consume, go on, on uh, the internet and do all kinds of other things. But if you can find somebody who loves doing what you want to delegate, you just liberated yourself and you can now go on to do what's highest in your priorities because you got people that want to do what's highest in theirs. And that's the key to engagement. That's a key to hiring people and key to building a company that's vital, productive, low cost, high productivity. And people want to be around people that really love what their job is. They'll want to refer to that. You've all, we've all been to a restaurant or a, a closed store or whatever. And there's somebody that's sitting there doing their nails. They're not engaged. They don't want to do it. And it's almost like a bother them to ask them a question. That's a disengaged person that kills businesses, but an engaged person who loves what they're doing and has all the knowledge of it knows exactly where everything else you're going to refer to. So if you want a growing business, you want to make sure that people are doing what they love and inspired by what their job is. 
and engaged. That makes a difference. And that's hiring according to what they're valuing most. Just like you give a, you want to meet a customer's need by fulfilling their highest value. You want to meet an employee's need by meeting their highest values. And that mastery is the key to growing business. Excellent. And I've been employing people for more than 30 years now. And I can see that those who are genuinely innately inspired to do what we have on offer, which is nursery, we grow plants for a living and help the environment, the planet and, and youth in particular, they are an absolute sponge and a pleasure to teach because they are inspired and it brings out all those beautiful things. Well, whatever's highest on our value, we perceive in our environment. We have in our pulvinar nuclei in the diencephalon, the subcortical area, a filtering gating mechanism based on our values. Whatever we value most, we filter out of our reality and, and look for things that help us fulfill it. So a mother's highest value is children. She'll see children's items in the store. If a businessman is, is dedicated as a serial entrepreneur, he'll, he'll see completely different things in the store. In our world, we filter it out and our perceptions and our decisions and actions are based on that. So if we can actually get them engaged, they will make their own decisions, take actions and spontaneously act. You don't have to motivate them. Motivation is a symptom, never a solution for human beings. People intrinsically inspired from within are the greatest employees, greatest customers, and greatest uh, people who serve, the owners of business. That's wonderful. And from uh, getting it back into the home, because I, I, I do parent coaching, so a lot of parents complain that their kids are lying around like lizards and not participating and contributing to the family home. Not their fault, I don't think, John. It's the parents, up to the parents, to find those jobs that I always say, Look for the jobs. Look, what are they good at? What are they? And they'll be good at what they enjoy. And then I always start saying, like, negotiate the time that it'll take. A little bit like your story earlier. Like how much time will it take? What's the job worth? Start, like, planting the seeds of an entrepreneur. Exactly. So, um, it's important yeah. to keep doing stuff, isn't it? Yeah, one of the greatest teachers I ever watched was Marilyn Wilhelm. And uh, she had, I, I walked into class and I was supposed to be the guest speaker. And I, I'm about to speak and she introduces me. And these are eight, nine-year-olds, okay? So these are, and I'm about to speak. And all of a sudden, this little Japanese boy puts his hand up and he says, Dr. Martini, can you explain the modus operandi of how encephalons and endorphins work in the cerebral hemispheres of the brain? Now, I have the answer to that. I know that. I taught neurology. I've got the neurochemistry. I can do it. But I was so blown away that an eight-and-a-half-year-old kid was asking me that. I was going, what? You got to be kidding I turned to Marilyn Wilhelm and she just kind of winked. And I said, you know what? I think this hour, instead of me speaking, I think I'd be wise to listen to what you're doing here. So I got in the chairs with the kids, literally got in the chairs and it's cramped little chairs. And I had to go up there and watch her work. And she knew every one of the top values in those children. And she said, Johnny, you're dedicated to baseball. In 1954, who is the absolute number one hitter in the world? And he rattled it off. And at that time, what was the number one car? This kid loves cars. What's the number one car that was selling at that time? And what was the brand? Da, 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 da. And then, then all of a sudden, his ballerina, this girl wants to be a ballerina, says, who is the leading ballerina at the time? And she, was, she knew every one of the values and had them go and study what they were doing and have each of them learn from each of the others. And that's what the information in class was. They were all excelling in their gifts and their geniuses. And everybody was learning from everybody else on there. And they were connected by a date or connected by a person or something. And these kids were amazing. By the time they were 13, they were ready for college. That's what I watched this lady do because she, instead of suppressing them with an autocratic download of information that makes mediocrity and drones in society, 
you know, to fit in and be obedient to an outside, you know, a structure. They were creatively waking up the genius and the gifts in these children. That's what she was doing. And I watched amazing things come out of these kids. I was just sat there and I go, whoa, what a lesson here. I, I wanted to do that for adults. Yeah, well, I learned that from your CDs that I've listened to many, many, which I'd love to drop that to everyone watching. You've got the 12 volume finance CDs, which are excellent. I've listened to them multiple times and loaned them to people. I've shared your name with many, many people that know me well. I'll know that's so true, including Brad. And I've heard you talk about Marilyn Wilhelm and she is on YouTube and it, she's got a few little bit, little pieces there and it's really inspiring to watch. And it just fascinates you that everyone, it's so true that everyone's born a scholastic genius. If we yeah. tap into that, that's where we'll go into the executive center, the four, four brain. Well, she, and She understands the chameleon effect. She not, understands that she sees the genius, she'll wake it up. But what we do is we, 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 go into moral hypocrisies of our own values and autocratically project our values onto kids and suppress their individuality, trying to get them to fit in, to make it easy on us in our pursuit of pride and our pursuit of easy life, which actually robs people of accountability of being their authentic self. So I'm a firm believer in identifying what they really value. I, I took a group of kids in Africa that had 27% pass rate in Alexandria Township and we worked for one year, four sessions, four hours per session, 16 hours in all, and 97 from 27 passed matric the following year. And I know that that's because people want to learn. They just want to learn what's important to them. And if you finally honor that and link what you know they need to learn to that, they will absorb almost anything you want to tell them. It's just got to be linked to what they do. They got to see how it's going to help them get what they want. And once you help them get what they want, they help you get what you want. Yeah, that's wonderful. That you, I know that you've done so much work in South Africa. You spent a lot of time there. And wow, that country sure needs uh, replicas of you, which you've trained facilitators teaching your Demartini methodology to help people break through their baggage and see their... Yeah, we've trained, we've trained about 7,000 of them around the world in many countries. So where they're going and we're still yeah. training. Great. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, thank you so much, Dr. John Demartini. It's just um, a privilege. It's been a pri privilege to spend this time with you today and share all this wisdom and your findings and research for the, over 48 years now. Um, yeah, I think we need some teachers listening to this as well as parents and even the kids themselves. I, it was just so valuable. I just enjoyed every minute of it. What about you, Brad? Yeah, I, I used to be a teacher. I was for a couple of years. Um, and I think inserting more of that values education, that would just transform the whole thing. And, you know, maybe the, the answer is to do it outside the system with people that are willing to, you know, go that route. But yeah, I think that's, that's the way to teach people. I think you can't, you can't teach people if they're disinterested, disengaged, they're not motivated, it's not intrinsically uh, tied to their values, because they just don't care. So I think that's fantastic. And Thanks for joining us, John. Anything that you'd like to finish up with? Yeah, whoever's listening out there, whether you're a parent, whether you're a youth, or whether you're a teacher or whatever, just know that since exemplification is still the greatest teacher, giving yourself permission to be authentic, realizing that everything that's going on in your life is attempting to get you there. Everything is a feedback of on the way, not in the way. And give yourself permission to shine as an authentic individual, as an exemplification of what's possible. And you will do the most for yourself, the people you care about, and the world. Because what you'll do is you'll create a chain reaction, a domino effect on other people, and give them permission to do the same. So thank you. Appreciate oh, it, Brad. Thank oh. you. Truly beautiful. 
Thank you so much, Dr. Martini. You're looking very well too, so stay safe over there in the US. I'm doing well. I, I can't complain. I, I ran uh, four miles today and did 120 push-ups this morning, so I, I'm that, still cranking. That's amazing because I've never heard you talk about the physical exercise that you do, but I know that you, you know, master well, all areas of your life. So I, I don't. I didn't. I, when I COVID came, because I'm sitting in front of the computer more, I figured I better balance it. Mm. So I decided to do a little bit more. So I just increased my my movement and. And so I do other forms. I did a 150 leg lifts today, just on the side. So in between a class or whatever, I'll quickly do some sort of movement and come back to it. Well, that's excellent oh, messages. Well, we're so grateful for you and your work and you're reaching. It's, it's wonderful to hear that you're reaching even an ever vast amount of people. So thank you. And I'm, I haven't done your master plan master plan your life you've got that on your website you've got an event coming up i hope because i'd love to do that one yeah that's great because if you don't design your life nobody else's nobody's going to get up in the morning and dedicate their life to your fulfillment it's up to you so you better design it or you're going to live by other people's duties yeah and do you want to tell us how big that master plan your own that that big book that you have well it's not one book it's 30 volumes 30 volumes now do you want to quickly just tell us about that to inspire us to to master well, plan I, our life I, I started at age 17, going on 18, writing out how I wanted my life to look because I was inspired by a teacher that told me to do it. He said, write a goal for yourself, your family, your community, your city, your state, your nation, your world and beyond for 120 years. So I started doing it. And I started reading it, refining it, reading it, refining it, reading it, refining it, putting metrics in it, seeing if I was accomplishing it, keeping records of it and growing it. And then create a, create a posthumous biography, a mission statement, a standard I wanted to do, my values. I put a, a, a gratitude journal that's together that every single day I write down what I'm grateful for. You're, you're already in it. You're, this, this podcast is already in it. And I keep records of everything in that book. And, I get, and also I get all the thank yous from around the world, thousands of them, of all the people that we get to reach. Because sometimes we reach 100 million people at a time, 250 million people at a time. And these people come in and they send thank you letters. I keep those also because that's inspiring to know that you're making some sort of difference. I encourage everybody to keep a, a journal of what you've got to do that made a difference and what the gratitudes of, of the people that their lives are changing. But I keep that record. It's 30 volumes today. It just keeps growing. Well, congratulations and thank you. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you both. Thanks for joining us, John. Thank you, it's been Brett. Thank you. Pleasure. Okay. Be sure to like, share, subscribe. If you think this might be useful to someone, definitely send them the link. Thank you. Thanks for watching. Bye for now. Thanks, John.